Hey, ladies and gentlemen, how you guys doing? Welcome back to another edition of the Gridiron Graduates. I'm your boy, Bill Rossetti, welcoming you back for another exciting week of football talk. And on my, on the other end, of course, is my good buddy, Ian Wharton. Ian, what's going on, brother? Not too much, bud, not too much. Just uh, enjoying this first week of games, and obviously we're going to talk a little bit about those, and it's just great to see some fresh football out here. Such a great feeling seeing live, uh, live football again. You know, last last weekend was just amazing to see the Hall of Fame ceremony and the uh, and the Hall of Fame game itself, of course. Uh, so let's kind of start just kind of talking about the preseason in general. Uh, you know, our thoughts on what we look at during the preseason and how we try to not overreact to stuff. So uh, how how do you? How do you go about the preseason, watching the teams, and just others, anything in general? Yeah, you know, the preseason, it's it's one of those things where everyone's so revved up. And I don't blame people. I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm so excited for new football. Um, we're so ready to just digest all of it. And the reality is, is I, I don't think there's really that much to digest. Um, from an evaluator standpoint, um, there's a little bit more than there is from a fan's sake because obviously, you know, you're looking at the future of your team really with like the second team, but the third team, you know, by the time the second half comes, you really just can't put a whole lot of stock out there unless if there's rookies, second year players, third year players, those are the people that you really want to watch. Um, the, the veterans that have a very slight chance of making the roster, if they're going to play, they're going to be playing as special teams. They're not really going to, they're not supposed to be playing offense or defense really when you're at third team. And so just kind of keep that in mind. You know, if you're watching your team and you get to the second half of the game and, and you're obviously a, a huge, um, a huge football fanatic at that point. Don't be too worried about if your team kind of gets blown out in the second half or if these young guys just don't look like they know what's going on because reality is, is they don't. There's not really a strong game plan put into place for the preseason. Teams really are just putting out vanilla stuff, very basic routes, you know, blocking schemes. It's just very simple and you can't, don't get too wrapped up in it because it's not necessarily a predictor of anything good or even bad. Even if your team's doing really good, I would just say just kind of pump the brakes, good or bad. Just just kind of be ready and just for anything that happens in the regular season because it's, it's not predictive of what happens in, in the regular season. I mean, I remember when the Detroit Lions went 4-0 during the preseason and then they went 0-16 during the regular season. So just what I look for personally, if you're wanting to be, if you're a young evaluator or even if you're just a regular evaluator, just listening to us and more accomplished than us. Um, you know, personally, if you want to know what I look at, I look at these young guys. I just want to say, are they grasping what's going on around them? Are they adjusting to the speed of the NFL? You know, Bill mentioned the Hall of Fame game. You look at Trey Waynes. 
Trey Waynes was someone that clearly did not grasp the speed of the NFL right away. Now, does that mean he's going to be a terrible player? No. It just means it might take him a little extra time because he's still showing the weaknesses he did in college. That's really what I took away from that type of game and that specific scenario. So, you know, I don't, just don't put too much in it either way, but it can show a little bit more about young players than it will about older players, I think. It's like you read my mind and knew exactly what I was going to say. You, you took a lot of the thoughts out of my head and gave a great deal about it. I, I was thinking Trey Waynes myself, you know, because obviously being a high first-round pick, he was a guy that a lot of people are going to be watching in that Hall of Fame game. And, yeah, he got burned on a couple plays. But like you said, it, he's just a rookie. It's his first game. He's not quite up to speed. So the preseason is going to be nice for a guy like him because now he's going to have five games to get ready for the regular season instead of four. So playing in the Hall of Fame game is, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of give and take. You know, there's some positives, there's some negatives. You have an extra game to evaluate your players, but other teams may get an extra game to see some game fill. Like you said, there's really no game planning for all these games except maybe week three of the preseason when the players start to get into that regular season groove. You know, they might plan a little bit the upcoming opponent, but maybe more so for um, their week one opponent, and especially true for week four of the preseason. <clears throat> you know, they're, they're not necessarily game planning for the upcoming opponent. They're, they're looking ahead to who they're going to start the regular season against because that's the game that matters. You know, it's like when I, when I played high school football, <coughs> excuse me, and we would have a couple scrimmages before the regular season. We would game plan a little bit for who we were scrimmaging against, you know, just to get a sense of what they can do and get ourselves familiar with what we're going up against and what we need to do. But more so, especially in, in the second week of doubles, like the second, the week before. Like the week leading up to our second scrimmage, we were more so focused on our on who we were playing that first week. But so so again, you know, take everything you watch with a grain of salt. You know, get excited, like Ian said. You know, because we have live football back, and it's always great to finally watch football for the first time in six months. But know that. You know, this is the first taste of actual game situations for a lot of these players. You know, preseason, in a way, to me, feels like a glorified practice. You know, you don't get, obviously in training camps, you don't get the, you don't have the opportunity to actually practice certain down and distance scenarios. You know, you could simulate it, but... <coughs> But uh, you'll never get the full, you know, you, you don't get the full grasp of what's going on. Whereas in a preseason game, you have an opportunity to practice, you know, second and short, third and medium, third and long. You'll get those opportunities because of what's transpired previously. So, like I said, take things with a grain of salt and don't read too much into it. You know, even yesterday when we saw that the 
the Lions beat the Jets. Todd Bowles even said, you know, if this was, say, week three of the preseason, I'd be a little more concerned. You know, so even as a first-year head coach, he understands that there's still a long way to work. We're still a month away from the start of the regular season. So there's a lot of time for these players to, you know, get more reps. And, again, that's that's another key for this preseason. It's getting the, getting those reps for these young players, getting them ready for when the actual reps begin to matter. So that's that's really what the preseason is to me. Um, By the way, a little uh, breaking news as we're uh, recording. Uh, Jay Glazer just reported that the Arizona Cardinals are likely to sign Chris Johnson running back this weekend if a visit goes well. Yeah, very interesting to see his name kind of still around in the middle of August. I mean, I, I know the guy has his faults, and it's been a little while since he's had that big success like he has, but that's a little surprising that he's still around. I I kind of like that pickup. I mean, I'm not I'm not thinking he's going to be a 2,000-yard rusher again, but that's an interesting pickup for the Cardinals. At this stage in the game, you definitely have to watch for, for veteran pickups like for example, Chris Johnson or Evan Mathis. I mean, these are potential difference makers on good teams. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I'd like that fit, too. I mean, there's been question marks surrounding the Cardinals' running back situation. Yeah. You know, we, we, we liked Andre Ellington coming out of college, and you know, certainly early on he showed himself, but he has those injury problems. Yeah. And he, you know, he definitely has a high chance – of getting hurt somewhere down the line. You know, it would be nice to see him as a feature back, but unfortunately, if if he gets so many carries a game, that he, he's likely to get hurt. And Yeah, you know, I like that rotation of, of Ellington, Chris Johnson, and David Johnson. Yeah. They're the rookie running back, who's a great receiver. Not necessarily a great runner right, right now, but he's a great receiver out of the backfield. That's a very unique skill. Yeah, for what he's probably going to be asked to do in Arizona, it's a real nice fit. You know, you could have Ellington as, like, the first and second down back, and then third down bring in Johnson, or, well, I guess now now they might have two Johnsons. <laughs> so, uh, but you could bring in David or Chris as a third down pass catching back. So there's definitely going to be some options there. So definitely a nice pickup, I think, for Arizona. Uh, especially with the questions they're going to have going into the season. So maybe, you know, even if it's just to keep Ellington healthy a little bit longer. Yeah. And, you know, potentially keep him for a playoff run if they get there. So def- definitely not a bad signing at all for the Cardinals if and when it happens. You know, we're not saying it's official, but, you know, when Jay Glazer says something, <laughs> yeah, you can you can book on. that. Yeah, <laughs> you can usually bank on it. That guy is that guy is fantastic. Uh, he's outstanding. You know, Every, everyone when it comes to breaking news wants to either be like Jay Glazer or Adam Schefter. So, you know, props to those guys. Big fans. Absolutely. So so moving away from those guys. Um, so last night was Thursday night uh, for people listening. 
uh, maybe late, late Friday night or Saturday when you're listening, or, or maybe even later. Um, but the first big slate of games was Thursday. Um, unfortunately, I only got to see the Browns game. Um, that was the local game for me, uh, and I was I was not able to watch any other games until after this um, after this podcast was recorded. What were the games that you were able to watch, and did you have any major takeaways, um, even from the games on Friday? Um, have you had any major takeaways so far from the first week of preseason? Yeah, I, I caught a little bit of some of the games yesterday because um, I have Game Pass, so I was able to kind of glance a little bit at some of the games. Um, I, I guess the biggest takeaway would probably be the fact that uh, Amir Abdullah is definitely living up to the hype. You know, all all the talk of, about him all off season is certainly starting to pay off. He's certainly uh, deserving. Because even with a limited work action, which we would expect for someone like him, uh, he, he just looked outstanding. You know, he busted up a 45-yard run, and he's already showing that he's probably going to be a major factor in this offense. At worst, it's probably going to be a 50-50 split between him and Joyke Bell. Because you know Bell's going to get his own as well. But there's no way that they could keep Abdullah off the field or even limit him in any way. You know, if he's healthy, they're going to let him rip. Um, and I guess we got to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo because, of course, the whole Patriots story the last couple weeks with the never-ending Patriots story. Uh, well, I didn't think, yeah, what would you think of Garoppolo? Yeah, I didn't think he was terrible, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm trying not to look too much into it and try not to overreact, but I, I think he kind of held his own. Um, you know, had a little bit of protection issues. His line didn't help him a little bit, but overall, I think I didn't think Garoppolo was bad. And you know, even going back to last season, I always thought Garoppolo was a decent quarterback coming out of Eastern Illinois. So I've always said that even if Brady were to miss these first four games, New England will be fine. You know, looking at the schedule, I think they can easily get to, at worst, 2-2. Two and two. And if they do that, they're going to be fine once Brady comes back. So I, I think Patriots fans can rest a little bit easy knowing that they have a little bit of insurance if Brady were to miss these first four games. Or, you know, even if it's four games in the middle of the season or whatever, I, I think Garoppolo can at least, you know, kind of stay the course for them. So th- th- those are two of my big takeaways uh, from last night. Haven't gotten a chance to see much of the Friday action, uh, but that's kind of what I took away from Thursday's games. Yeah. So from from the Browns game that I saw, I saw obviously I saw um, the Redskins. I saw the Browns. Uh, not a ton of takeaways from the Redskins. I'll tweet out a little bit later as I rewatch the game. Um, and actually get to really focus on it. Unfortunately, Game Pass for people that, that have either have it or haven't been able to log into it and watch it, because um, that's been a bear uh, in itself. It's been a kind of a disaster. Um, we're not able to get coaches film, so we're not able to see yeah, the whole field. Downside, yeah. Like regular season, we can't really break games down that way, unfortunately. So it's it's a little bit difficult. For evaluating everybody, 
um, except for you know like the the front seven of the defense and the and the offensive line for the offense. But you know we do the best that we can. So just kind of working off that, you know, going back to the Browns and Redskins, I thought that RG three, you know, he still struggles. The guy still takes unnecessary hits. Um, he just still doesn't seem 100% comfortable out there. Um, other other things, the running game looks great for Washington. On the other hand, for the Browns, they really struggled once again to stop the run. Let me throw out a fast, quick fact out there for you. Browns have the most expensive defense in the NFL. Now, let me let me give you a scenario here. If this defense performs the way it did last year, granted last year they had several key injuries, but that's kind of part of the game too, so you kind of have to figure that some injuries will happen. If that's a defense that, that struggles again, finishes almost last in the NFL in the run game again, Mike Bettine might be feeling the hot seat, and not for the reasons that we had thought a year ago. Because that's a, you know you kind of look at Chuck Pagano in Indianapolis. Why is he already under the fire? Because he's a defensive head coach that has had almost no success improving the play of the players that he's working with. And I think that Mike Bettine really needs to kind of light a fire under his guys. If this is predictive, and the thing is here is this isn't. It's not like I'm just picking out a random game in preseason to, to point this out. I mean, the Browns were awful at stopping the run last year. I'm pretty sure they were, like, bottom three, if not the worst in the NFL off the top of my head. So they can't be averaging 5.5 yards against them on the ground. That's just – that's never going to work. That's never going to last. So that was the that was a big takeaway I had as far as the Redskins offense and Browns defense. Danny Shelton looked good. Guys are definitely a really good athlete. He didn't have a huge impact on the game, but you could just tell how good of an athlete he was. Um, offensively, uh, I do I I do think that Johnny Manziel looked more confident. I think that Luke McCown also looked confident. Both of them were throwing the ball fairly well. Um, Manziel didn't have good protection. He scrambled for a touchdown, which we don't need to know about his running ability. We already know about his running ability. Um, but he did get a touchdown that way. I I, I still have to question. I said, I just want to see more of him, and I want to see more of him with the first team because that's really, I mean, it's not surprising that he did good against second and third team defense. That's not really the question with him. So um, the other takeaway, I, only other takeaway I had from that game is Cameron Irving should never play tackle. We need to stop saying that people are versatile when they aren't good at a position. He is a good interior offensive lineman. He is not a tackle. <laughs> he was really bad at tackle. I guess and there's just, a reason why they kicked him inside during his uh, senior year at Florida State. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he's a fantastic center. I had him as a first-round center. Um, I think he's a fantastic center. I think he could probably play guard fairly well. I don't know. I've never really seen him there. So it's really just speculation. But I think he could be a phenomenal center. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I don't think he'll be a bad interior lineman, but the Browns, because of injuries, had to kick him outside to tackle, and it really didn't look good. So um, that's really it as far as my takeaways from that game. And then and then only thing I've seen tonight so far on Friday, I saw Marcus Mariota's first pick. Um, so, thankfully, the drought is over <laughs> with the interceptions. 
because we knew it was bound to happen and that was getting a little out of hand so it's yep. good to finally put that to rest yep uh, just a quick note i quickly looked up uh rushing defense from last season cleveland was actually dead last in rushing yards allowed per game yeah and you can't have that when you're when you're like a defensive head coach that shouldn't happen Especially, as we've alluded to before, playing in a division where the running game is top-notch and really kind of the focal points of a lot of these offenses. When you talk about Le'Veon Bell, Justin Forsett, and the duo of Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill. So that's got to improve if this team wants to do anything uh, in 2015. Um something else I want to touch on tonight I want to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame ceremony itself you know did you get did you get a chance to watch any of the ceremony last weekend um personally I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of that whole process um okay. part of it is is I haven't had um you know a player that I really watched growing up inducted yet right. um so like if Jason Taylor or Zach Thomas or someone was inducted which I think they both should make it um I would probably be a little bit more into it, yeah. but I've never really been a part of that that weekend thing. You know, it's just not it's just not my thing. So it's not something I'll probably ever watch unless if uh, unless well, I guess I should say now that we're kind of getting into my childhood. Yeah, I was gonna say a lot of the players that we're we grew up watching are starting to get in, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. So maybe if like Terrell Owens or someone makes it next year, but you know. Oh, sorry about that. Okay. Um, sorry. Yeah, no, sorry about that. I'm not sure where, where the last part you heard me. Um, I, I think you cut off when you, you were saying about if uh, T.O. gets in next year. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I didn't get a chance to watch. Um, but I am glad that um, Junior Seau's daughter got to speak. Yeah. And I'm glad that he made it in. I, I don't think Jerome Bettis should have made it in. Um, just out of my own, you know, Thing about the Hall of Fame, I think he's great. I think he's a fantastic player. I just don't think he's Hall of Fame good. Right. Um, I also kind of lean more toward like I'd rather be short-term elite than be long-term good, if that makes sense. So like a guy like Priest Holmes to me, I think is a guy that probably should make it. Um, but he was also my favorite player growing up, so I'm biased. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed watching Priest Holmes as well. You know, you, you could certainly make a case for him. Uh, Jerome Bettis certainly was one of the intriguing players um, and certainly one that was debated a lot on Twitter as far as, you know, should he or should he have not gotten in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he had a whole bunch of rushing yards, but he's also carried the ball a lot of times to get to that number. Um, but where I am as far as, like, you know, where I live, my area and whatnot – uh, it was certainly an exciting time because a, a lot of people in this area are Steelers fans, so uh, Jerome Bettis getting in was certainly a good feeling for them, for all those Steelers fans. And uh, I liked how he thanked Ben Roethlisberger for the uh, touchdown-saving tackle against the Colts. 
I thought that was really neat because, I mean, you know, when you talk to Rombetis, that's certainly one of the plays you're going to think of is uh, that touchdown saving tackle by Ben, which eventually led to Jerome winning the Super Bowl in his hometown of Detroit. Um, and I, I agree. I, I thought it was a real classy move to let Sydney Seau speak. I kind of wish she would have gotten to speak in a more broader sense. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, like I wish she would have been able to speak like all the other inductees, you know, at the podium, speaking to the mass, not in a, you know, on the side interview with Steve Weish. But nonetheless, she got to talk, and I thought she did a really good job of talking about who her father was, uh, both on and off the field. So, without a doubt, definitely a uh, a deserving entrant into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and as far as next year, Brett Favre's a lock. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, if Brett Favre does not get elected into the Hall of Fame next year, I think we can begin the countdown to the apocalypse. I also I haven't I haven't looked and seen. I know that T.O. was the other guy um, people were talking about, and I think uh, I think it was like a lineman or someone else that's that's eligible. I would have to think obviously Favre's a lock. I have to think T.O. is going to be a lock too. I mean, I the only reason he wouldn't be was I think maybe media bias against him. Yeah. Um, but, but goodness, that guy was top six in almost every major category as a receiver. I mean, it, it's not a question of whether he deserves it. It's just a question of, I think, do, do people like him enough to put him in first ballot, which is a ridiculous thing to me. I think if, if you're Hall of Fame worthy, I think you're Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just kind of scrolling through some sites just to see couple other names that are first year eligible next year. So you got Alan Fanica, you know, one of the best guards, at least of our generation. Uh, Clinton Portis and a couple others and then, you know, some guys who who were on the ballot last year that didn't make it, that'll be up. You know, you've got Kurt Warner, you've got Marvin Harrison. So you know, it, it should be interesting to see to see what happens next year, who gets the call. Uh, but I guess, and especially with Kurt Warner, because I thought, you know, he probably would have had a better chance to get in last year uh, than this year because, or I should say, better chance to get in this year than next year because now next year he has to go up against Brett Favre. And so with only, with the committee only putting in five modern-day players, are they going to put in two quarterbacks? Which, you know, is something that by the time we get to 2016 is something they will have not done in 10 years. So that'll be, uh, that'll be something to watch for sure. Um, I guess as far as the rest of the preseason goes, is there anything particular that you're looking forward to or, you know, like these weekend games or as we get down the line closer to the start of the season? Um, just continuing to look forward to, uh, you know, these young guys seeing the, seeing the progressions that they make. Um, you know, Justin Hardy for the Falcons tonight is playing well so far. Stuff like that. You know, these guys that 
we evaluated and we said, this is an NFL-ready player. I just want to see, are they actually acclimating to the NFL quickly? Um, the guys that maybe I thought were developmental types, are they quickly acclimating to the NFL? Um, you know, Andrus Pete last night, um, I had heard he played well at right tackle. So, like, it's stuff like that. I just want to see, are they scheme versatile? Are they position versatile? Are they excelling where I didn't think that they could? And it's good. I mean, it's good. Like, if I'm wrong, I'm perfectly fine with that. Perfectly fine with that because that's a good learning opportunity. Um, I have no no problems being wrong about guys. So, I'm just – obviously, we're not going to be proved one way or the other in the preseason. Um, but you want to see those encouraging signs, even about guys that I didn't necessarily have rated highly in the draft. Um you always want to see those guys do well. Um, so that's what I'm going to be looking at. Really first, second, third year guys. That's really my focus. Um, everyone else that's like a fringe roster guy, um, you're just kind of looking for flashes. And, and if, and if guys flash, then you just kind of, kind of keep an eye on them. Yeah, definitely. You know, and kind of like what we mentioned before, you know, one of the nice things about the preseason is, getting to see these back-end roster players fighting for a, fighting for a job. That's what makes, you know, week four of the preseason a little bit underrated. You know, the casual fan isn't going to enjoy it because there's no starters. What, you know, they're thinking, why, why bother watching? You know, my favorite player isn't playing. But, you know, there's a lot of times that players in that fourth preseason game earn a spot on the final 53 and actually make some kind of contribution during the regular season. So there's certainly learning opportunities you know, throughout the preseason to just get a feel of how some of these players are. Um, I, certainly I'm looking forward to Sunday. I'm looking forward to seeing somewhat how the Eagles look. Uh, there was a report earlier this week that uh, Byron Maxwell may actually shadow opposing wide receivers. So that's going to be something interesting to watch this season. Uh, It's one of those things, and like that's one of those things that's that's a tough call because you look at Patrick Peterson in in Arizona and you look at Byron Maxwell, and I charted both those guys, and I have all the data on those guys, and the the data suggests that neither is really – Neither's a high-end number one cornerback. Now they're not a bad cornerback. They're no. I think they're low-end number one cornerbacks. That high-tier number two. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. That's not. That's not an insult. That's no, perfectly fine. You know, but it's like teams. right, and and you have to be standout of the standouts to be the greatest. Yeah. So, you know, and it, it, the the call there is very very difficult. I think for a coaching staff because. If you want a guy to trail, it's really saying one of two things. Either that cornerback is elite or the rest of your cornerback crew is that weak that you really need him to always be on the top guy. And I think for both teams, now I think I think Philly has a good secondary, but the loss of Ja'Cory Shepard and Brandon Boykin, oof, yeah. those hurt. Shepard, like trading Boykin wasn't bad. Until, Until you lost Shepard. Yeah. Now the depth is really starting to show. You know, now yeah. A guy like EJ Biggers or Jalen Watkins is 
really going to have to step up. Yeah. Not much else that they can throw in there. Um, and, and I was a big fan of, of Jalen Watkins a year ago. I had him as a second-round pick, yeah. even though he played safety. I, I love the kid. I really do. Um, but, I mean, we're not there every day in practice. And it's just one of those things where it's like we're not there. And I'm not sure why they didn't play. I, I think it was because of injuries, and you may know this for sure. Nolan Carroll, I'm not sure why he didn't play more last year because he's a good player. Um, yeah, he's more of an outside guy, though. He's not an inside guy. He's not a slot cornerback. He never played slot for Miami. Um, so I'm not. It's a, that's a tough role to fill there yeah, in the slot. I, I don't know what what the infatuation was with Bradley Fletcher last season. You know, because there were so many times people were calling him for be to be benched, and I mean, deservedly so. You know, you, you know as well as I do that Fletcher was not good last season. Right. And there there could have been. There were numerous opportunities where they could have pulled him and put Carroll in, but they never did. And, you know, that's an interesting question as to why they didn't. But, you know, that's then, this is now, and certainly Carroll's now in line for a starting spot. Eric Rose com- competing there uh, for a starting spot, which we kind of expected, you know, from the draft moving forward, that Eric Rowe was going to compete for that second corner spot. Yeah. Um, he also had the. We also thought he had a chance to play at safety, but they like what they see in Walter Thurman. So. Which I think that's a good call as far as um, just adding more cornerback depth. Yeah. And I hope Watkins moves back to cornerback too. I think he was a good safety, but they don't really need a starting safety this year now. So I no. think moving him back to corner. And it's tough too because I also usually don't advocate for cross-training. Um it's just one of those things where their roster the roster needs a change now. And so now you kind of have to have someone that can move to that slot. And I think Watkins is really the only guy that can do it. I mean, Biggers might be able to do it a little bit, but I don't think he's going to be overly effective. It's, that's just such a nasty blow. It really is with Shepard. It really was, yeah. And I, and I wasn't even a huge Shepard guy, but it's like the reports were good, and that's all that you needed mm-hmm. to work with. It's better than, than not having someone even physically qualified because it's just – you need to be so much more quick than fast. And most of what the Eagles have now is more speed than quickness, and that's going to be difficult. Yeah, so definitely that's that's something I'll be interested to watch. And certainly the inside linebacker rotation is, I think, something a lot of people are going to be keeping an eye on as well. You know, how much is Michael Kendricks going to be involved with, say, the first team? How do they mix and match? And I, I think the biggest question of all is what's going on with Sam Bradford. Yeah. So cer- certainly uh, as far as following the Eagles, those are going to be my big things. You know, Offensive guard as well, how the rotation there is going to go, because that's been a revolving door all offseason long. You know, I, I, I think they've had about at least four guys who have gotten reps at guard for the first team. So, you know, do they regret cutting Evan Mathis? Does Evan Mathis regret uh, wanting a new contract? Who knows? Uh, But now there's reports that Mathis may sign with the team soon. Could it be the Dolphins? What are you thinking about 
Um, I don't think it's uh, it's a difficult thing because you're you're talking about two different issues when you're adding a player like that because he apparently wants you know around five five and a half million some type of salary around that range and the excess he had he would have gotten with the Eagles so it, it's fair to say that that's what he would have wanted. From so right, so I mean, if we're talking, um, you know, if we're talking that is the barometer. That's difficult because people may even say, well, it's only on a one-year deal. Well, a one-year deal still hurts your future cap flexibility because teams are allowed to roll over money Mm -hmm. into the next year. So you look at the Dolphins. The Dolphins have several key free agents. You've got to figure out what's going on with Olivier Vernon, Lamar Miller. Those are two big players for them. And there's a few other guys um, as well, but those are really the two big ones. And – if you take away five and a half million dollars off of like, I think they have like nine million left. You're probably saying goodbye to both of them. And so you need to decide is a 30 some year old guard that much better than what you have on the roster. Now, yes, he's one of the elite guards in the NFL, but Chip Kelly made the same call. And let me ask you this. When's the last time a guard made the difference between a Super Bowl team or a playoff team yeah, and a not playoff team, it's, if you can get average production out of a out of another player, mm-hmm. I don't think that other player is worth five million dollars at guard. I really Especially don't. Especially when we're talking about so many teams that do a zone blocking scheme. I didn't mean right. to interrupt you, but right, no, um, you're right. You know, you can get look look at the Packers. You have an undersized David Bakhtiari playing left tackle. And he's been good. He struggled yesterday. Um, oh, I should say Thursday night for those listening later on. But he did struggle in his first preseason game. But overall, he's been okay. And he's not your prototypical left tackle. So, you know, like like what Ian's saying, you don't – like we have our standard heights and weights and arm lengths for the different positions – but I, I think a lot of it I, I think a lot of it is more based toward the angle blocking scheme, not necessarily the zone blocking scheme. You know, when, when comparing to if if you're look that that's why a lot of these linemen taking the fifth, sixth, seventh round are still available and productive, because you can take offensive linemen that are three hundred pounds, even say two ninety five, plug them into your system and they're good. Why? Because you don't have to be as powerful. You still have to be athletic and powerful, certainly, to play in his own blocking scheme, but not as much as an angle blocking scheme because you're not matched up one-on-one with somebody. You know, the premise of zone blocking is obviously what it says. Zone blocking, you're responsible for an area. You're not matched up with some Like in an, in an angle scheme, you know, I could be pulling to take the uh, middle linebacker or somebody. And, and that's my guy no matter what. You know, and say, like, the left guard has the D-tackle, center has nose, whatnot. In zone, it's about maintaining your area and attacking whoever comes into that area. And so I, I think it's more about speed than it is power. So you don't have to have the huge bulk that you see in some of these bigger offensive linemen. You, you can get away with the smaller size if that's what your system calls for. So, 
know, again, to your point, you don't need, like, yeah, everyone wants the elite players, but that's not what makes an elite NFL team. Look at the Patriots just winning the Super Bowl. Outside of Brady and Gronk and Revis, did they really have any elite players? They had very good players, but they didn't have elite players outside of those three. It was all a bunch of, you know, above average to good players. There was no quote-unquote big receiver on that team. But they... It's, their, it's just a collection of their team and, you know, just the sum of everything that happened for them is why they won the Super Bowl, so... Yeah, I mean, and that's a tough thing with team building. You know, it, those are the decisions that you have to make, so it makes it interesting. It's, it's a very difficult call because it's not our jobs on the line either. And when you're in that position, that's a, that's a tough call to make. Do you want to wager future to, to possibly be more short-term uh, effective? And I mean, it's and it's it, some some teams we know cave into public pressure too. The Cleveland Browns under uh, their old ownership. Oh, excuse me, I just had to sneeze real quick. Um, under their old ownership, would cave to public pressure. And they would do what the public wanted as far as, like, they would try to sign free agents or draft certain players. And, and obviously that was a disaster. So it's a difficult game to play. It's a balancing act. It definitely is a balancing act. Yeah, and just to kind of quick go back to the when we're talking about the salary cap, it's why, you know, I, I've, I have people tell me, oh, this team has X million of dollars. Let's go after this free agent. Well, or you know they have x amount x amount of salary cap dollars going into the season. Why not go out and sign somebody? Well, like you said, is is it going to be worth it to sign that player that you don't know how much of it of an impact they're going to have when you can, you can look ahead and look at some of the bigger names next season and use that extra salary cap, and knowing that the salary cap is going to continue to grow and grow having that extra space is always a good thing. Now, obviously, having the most space doesn't necessarily mean much either, as you saw with teams like the Jaguars and the Raiders, but obviously more salary cap is certainly better than less salary cap, right? You know, it could always right. be worse. We could be the New Orleans Saints. Right. Um, so that that's the interesting thing about uh, team building and it was, it was definitely good to kind of talk a little bit about that. So, but again, it all boils down to uh, the fact that we're finally talking football. Yeah, I know that was kind of swerving a little bit, but hey, it's nice to finally talk about live football again. And oh, we got what well, a month today is the first Monday night games of the season. And certainly two games we're looking forward to watching. Absolutely, and it'll it'll be a it'll be a fun little month <clears throat> until we get back to the regular season. Um, but like you said, at least football's football, and we're back. And 
and better than ever. And, and obviously it'll be a good season for us to, to see what all happens and, and it'll be, uh, it'll, it'll certainly be filled with storylines. It always is. So, Absolutely. um, any, any wrapping up thoughts that you have about preseason or, or the, this week in general or next week, maybe, uh, again, just, you know, I'm glad we finally have, uh, actually something to talk about. Uh, I look forward to tomorrow's game to, uh, catch Jameis Winston for the first time and the Bucks and Harris go up against the Vikings so we'll get to see a little more Teddy Bridgewater so that's certainly a game I'm, I'm excited to see um, yeah I've already mentioned the Eagles and uh, you know just overall excited to kind of get a glance at these teams and see kind of see what they have to offer again we're not going to see everything that they're going to bring to the table because they don't want to tip their hand too much. But, you know, just a little taste of what the, what they could possibly bring and who might who might break out. So should be fun. Uh, and, of course, we've got college football coming up too. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to watching that as well. Got some... Uh, Got some good games coming up that first week. You got Alabama against Wisconsin, and I'm certainly looking forward to doing bowl projections again <laughs> and predicting the playoffs. That's always a fun time. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so I think that's all for this week. Um, thank you everyone for listening again. And if you guys have any questions that you guys want us to talk about, um, any specific games or anything, just shoot us a tweet. We will uh, more than happily go over that. Um, I think we're all set for this week, right, Bill? Yeah, I think that was a, another f- fun hour of football talk, and I look forward to doing this again with you next week, bud. All right. Well, for Gridiron, Gad- Gridiron graduates, excuse me, I am Ian Wharton, my buddy Bill Rossetti, and uh, we will catch you guys next week with uh, – A whole new week of football to talk about. It's awesome to say. (laughs) Absolutely. Take care, guys. See you next week.